welcome back to the final episode of season six, the final episodic episode of season six of Star Wars in the Galaxy, watching all the stars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And this week, uh, we watched the final two episodes of season three of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, um, Padawan, Lost, and Wookiee Hunt. But first, we also watched another new piece of Star Wars content that came out this week. That is uh, episode seven of The Bad Batch, which is called Battle Scars. Um, Jacob, you want to lead off? What do you What do you think of Battle Scars? Oh man, Battle Scars! One I thought that was an absolutely fantastic episode. Um, it was great. I um, it wasn't quite as earth shattering to me as it was for some people, but um, I thought it was really solid. I uh, I love the suspense. Um, really, kind of a big payoff for all the. The uh, not-so-subtle hints about Wrecker with the headaches. Um, I really liked also just seeing... Um, oh, gosh, what was the planet called? Bracca. Bracca. I absolutely loved Bracca. Just, um, I thought the symbolism of all those like, kind of dead, destroyed Republic cruisers and just seeing that for the first time was a surprisingly intense experience. And it like really served as a kind of a, a stark reminder of, hey, the Republic is no more. It's all about the Empire now, so... I, I thought it was a great episode. The Fallen Order tie-ins were great in this episode. Um, I still want to see Cal Kestis in the next episode. I really hope it's going to happen. I hope they don't do. I, don't, I hope they don't do what they actually ended up doing in Fallen Order, which is in Fallen Order they ended up. Um, they went. They made us go to Dathomir, and the entire time it looked like we were going to see like Darth Maul or a remnant of Talzin, and we just don't. Um, I really hope they actually we actually see Cal Kestis in the next episode. I I really enjoyed this episode. I'm surprised that they went uh, so easy and they just removed all the inhibitor chips. Um, but you know what? I, I, I appreciate that that's not the conflict they're going with. They're going with something a little bit more galaxy-spanning, a little bit more wide rather than the personal. That's just me, though. In Padawan Lost, during a harrowing battle on the Separatist-controlled planet of Felucia, Ahsoka Tano is kidnapped by a Trandoshan. We see the Trandoshan society is based on the art of the hunt, the spirit of the hunt. They have an entire religion based on the glory of the hunt. They release captives onto their planet of Waska and hunt them for sport. It is so incredibly intertwined with their culture. Um, they make it a rite of passage. Um, and one of the lead um, Trandoshans... Uh, his, his name is Garnak. His son, Dar, is an up-and-coming hunter in the Trandoshan tradition. And he sends Dar out after Ahsoka. Ahsoka, down on Waska, meets three abandoned Jedi younglings who are also captured by Trandoshans on a training mission. Khalifa, Omer, and Jinx. They formulate a plan to evade the... Trandoshans, um, who are raining hell on the moon of Waska. Um, eventually, uh, in self-defense, Ahsoka is forced to kill, uh, Dar, which makes Garnak extremely angry. The episode ends with a pot shot from a Trandoshan hunter being taken at, um, at Khalifa, uh, who dies, um, in Ahsoka's arms, forcing Ahsoka to go on without her. Our fortune cookie is, without humility, courage is a dangerous game. I think this is a interesting fortune cookie. Um, oh, sorry, can I go first? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I think this is an interesting fortune cookie given the episode because to me it almost seems that the message of the episode is more about not giving up hope and the fact that maybe the Padawans have a little bit too much humility. But I definitely see this come into play at the beginning of this episode. Um... Because obviously this is a big growth moment for Ahsoka and for the show as a whole um, in terms of stepping up the intensity. But I think I think where it comes into play is kind of Ahsoka's cockiness at the beginning of the episode, you know? She's like, oh, I can handle this, no problem. And that is, that is kind of her downfall, that she doesn't really take enough precautions to protect herself and ends up getting kidnapped. So in a way, I think it makes sense, but I think they could have picked something slightly more pertinent. The scene I actually uh, thought of first is not a scene from this arc. It's actually a scene from Solo when Beckett and Chewbacca are playing holo chess. 
Do you want to make that move? Do you yeah. really want to make that move? You made that move. Um, uh, you know, it, yeah, you have to be, it, it's, it's an advisement to always be careful. You never know what's going to happen. Um, and Ahsoka's instinct is to fight back, but sometimes that's to her detriment in this episode where she really should just calm down and assess the situation, I guess. Um, so we start off this arc with a question. There's this, there's this general question in this arc. Yes. What is Ahsoka Tano without Anakin Skywalker? That's our central question. Yeah. That's kind of, what does Ahsoka do when she's on her own in a new place? You know, that, that kind of thing. Here's yeah, totally. my sort of hot take about this arc. Are you ready for this? This is pretty, I, I found, I figured this one out. I think this is pretty interesting. What is Ahsoka Tano without Anakin Skywalker is not a question for Ahsoka. Ahsoka's not the one who needs to figure out that question. It's a question for Anakin. It's a question for Anakin. Yeah. I think we really only see that at the very end of the second episode. But But I, I, I do think that's a very good point of this is overall just yet another way that we play into Anakin's sh- the shaping of Anakin's kind of beliefs that he that he alone must be like omnip he must achieve omnipotence over the safety of of his loved ones and those dear to him. Yeah, there's that sense that I agree with that you're putting out there that Anakin feels that nothing can stop his loved ones from being put in danger except for him gaining more power. There is nothing that they can do to make him feel that they're safe. It's only only he can ensure their safety. Which is not true. But it's interesting to see Anakin in this arc. And we see Ahsoka. Ahsoka, other than that initial time where Ahsoka's captured, there is no point in this arc in which Ahsoka is outclassed. You know what I mean? There's no point in this arc where Ahsoka uh, you want to get to the Trandoshans. I mean, Absolutely. There um, are society in this arc and they're a really interesting one. Because yeah. one of the things I love is the the writers decide to take the two most popular bounty hunters from The Empire Strikes Back and they're like, okay, here's all the backstory you didn't know you needed from, from both of them. We got Boba Fett with all the Mandalorian backstory. And of course, we got Boss with all these Trandoshan backstories. By the way, let's talk about the head Trandoshan, Garnak. Oh my gosh, Garnak. He has a skinned Wampa on his throne. That's crazy. Yeah, he is. He is we Garnet see there is a, there's a panning shot that is established, which is literally all of the different trophies that they've taken. Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything you got about the beginning of the episode, the establishment of the Trandoshan Society, all that um, kind of stuff? Not really, no. I think that they do a great job, though, just portraying the, the, the intensity, the danger, um, and kind of the fear, because, you know, it's not usually that Ahsoka's really, like, out of her, like, truly really out of her element like this. So I think it's interesting to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's see. Uh, where are we? Um, yeah. You want to go into the younglings? These younglings? Yeah, okay. So the three younglings who become the supporting cast, basically. Yeah. For this episode. So there's... Khalifa. We have, we have Khalifa. Omer. Omer. And, and Jinx. Jinx. Yes, and... You know, they're all right, but they've really, they've really been ground down, I would say, in a big way. And it shows when we, when we see how, how they kind of respond to Ahsoka trying to, to whip people up a little more and trying to get people more into, uh, into what's happening. Cause they are, uh, they are, they are absolutely not having it. Yeah. 
I question whether these younglings were necessary. Yeah, they, they, it, I don't know. It felt a little bit gratuitous to me, but you know, we, they, we, it, we it, got some. It cool feels very similar to the youngling arc we'll see in season five of the Clone Wars with the gathering. Um, they feel, they feel, and and like, yeah, you know, if if Ahsoka is needing to prove herself to anybody, to Anakin, to the audience, to anybody, lumping other characters in with her struggle doesn't really seem that important yeah i feel like they were kind of there just to just to bounce us so just to see ahsoka kind of bounce off of them and see their personalities yeah reflect against one another because of how they kind of were maybe a little bit too humble you you could say potentially um there is a sense that like you know when Ahsoka goes into an arc with another character, I'm going to bring up the Martez sisters arc because that's the one that popped into my head. Yeah. The Martez sisters arc is half about how Ahsoka... Is half, the Martez sisters arc is half about how the Martez sisters change Ahsoka. But the other half is the more important half. It's about how Ahsoka changes the Martez sisters. Yeah. I know how Khalifa, Omer, and Jinx change Ahsoka. I don't know how Ahsoka changes Khalifa, Omer, and Jinx. Maybe gets them to believe in themselves a little bit more, but yeah, like, I you think, know. I think she does. I think that's... I know. I just like... It doesn't... They don't feel like a symbiotic relationship. They don't feel like they're getting things from each other. I, I feel like Ahsoka... The only thing Ahsoka's getting from them is the chance to be a leader. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. That, 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 I, yeah, I could... I can see what you mean by that. Um... Yeah, I will say. Yeah, I no, I think you're right. I think that it doesn't. Um, they don't really add as much as I would have hoped, um, and they feel like more of just a means of reflecting Ahsoka and Ahsoka's changes, rather than you know being being characters there for their own sake, which I think for this is 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 fine. Yeah. Um, from a narrative sense, I think it makes a sense, no pun intended, um, because of, of how this is really focused on Ahsoka and to some extent Anakin, you might say. Yeah. But yeah, I, it definitely, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I. Uh, it doesn't feel great from, I, a, from a standpoint of just. I like, will say. A, a juicy story, I guess. I will say this uh, about this arc, which I find really interesting, on a completely separate point. I love how this arc portrays the dark side there is huh. not a dark side villain in this arc like there isn't yeah. there's no sith there's no you know there's it's not like mortis where there's like the literal dark side right there we don't have talzin who's clearly on the dark side we don't have all that the dark side usage in this arc is natural what i mean is we don't have like any relics or any you know magical force powers or anything like that is it really the dark side do you think like Khalifa, like, Khalifa almost force chokes the Trandoshan to death. Yeah, she Khalifa kind of gives into the dark side at one point. Yeah, the Trandoshans are giving into dark side emotions. They're not using the dark side of the force, but they are clearly bad. This isn't Exegol. This isn't Dathomir. There's no wellspring of the dark side, you know, like there was in Legends. The dark side is always there, you know. The light, the the people on the light side have to constantly make the choice to turn away from it. There's that quote from Master and Apprentice, um, the book. I don't turn to the light side. And this is Qui Gon. I don't turn to the light side because I'll win some car, uh, karma ridden game. I'm I, I turn to the light because it's there. Um, yeah. I turn to the light because it's the right thing to do. Um, and I like this very like. You know, you do what's right because not because there's yeah. some all powerful force controlling your destiny. You do what's you right. Do what's right. You, yeah, quite not like he do does what's right. right because it's right, not yeah. because he thinks he's gonna be like rewarded yeah. in the afterlife or yeah. whatever. And and that's not untrue in all in, in the other Star Wars, but with the absence of all of these like mystic with the absence of the mystical side of the force comes the moral side of the force, which is equally as important. This is yeah. not me dissing on the mystical side of the Force either, because 
you know how much I dig that stuff. You know how much I am obsessed with that stuff. Give me Exegol. Give me Mortis. Give me all of that. But it's nice to see the contrast. It only works. The mystical force only works because the moral force is there. Yeah, definitely. It's all about balance. Um, you know, yeah. There's that, like, um, there's that idea in, like, is, is it Bane from Batman who says it? I think it's Bane. What does he say? Yeah. There's that, like, you were, um... Oh, you merely adopted the darkness. I was yeah, born in I it. I was born in it. Oh, I love that yeah. monologue. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. My point being, like, the Trandoshans. The Trandoshans weren't born in the dark side. I would, I mean, if we, if you're talking, if, if the Trandoshans here meet your definition of, like, the dark side, I would say that they are born into it. Because at least for these Trandoshans, this is, like, clearly a family tradition thing. Yes. Like, this is, this all they know. That's why they do it. They don't choose, they don't, they don't like choose to just go out and, and kill people it's what they know they don't really have a choice since i would i would here here's what i mean okay long ago the trandoshan society made a choice to do this there wasn't like i i like the like the the natives on exegol the night sisters of dothamir those are like like they exist because in my mind they exist because the dark exists yeah the Trandoshans don't exist because the dark side exists. The Trandoshans exist because they exist, and they happened to choose the dark side. There's also this, um, one of the last things I have for this, there's also this idea of, there's this, um, moral dilemma of, what, there's, there's this, um, when Ahsoka wants to save one of the, uh, captives who was dropped off on the island with her, Khalifa uh, uh, holds her back and she says to her, We are not saviors here. We are survivors. There's, it's a very Bad Batch esque theme. Like, yeah. of how far do you go to survive? Where does the, where do the morals end? Where does the self preservation start? Yeah. Um, exactly. And, I agree. And, and I like that theme of, you know. There's a fine line between what you can do for yourself and what you can do for others. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't... I wouldn't tell you that Khalifa and the other younglings are tapping into the dark side by only caring about themselves because they are caring about the others too. I would just say they're towing that line and they're getting into that moral gray area of how do you be charitable, but also worry about living to fight another day? You know. Yeah, I mean? and it's a hard thing to have to. It's a very hard thing to have to grapple with. Yeah, for, for sure. There's, you know, it's there's that balance in like Last Jedi. Even you know, there were heroes on that mission, dead heroes. There's there's a balance in all of Star Wars. You know. Yeah. How, for sure. Yeah. So we get to the end of the episode. And while Ahsoka and Khalifa are walking on Waska, um, Khalifa is uh, hit by a pot shot, and she dies. Rip, yes. It is a... It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting moment, because yeah. on the one hand, you it's, know... It's not a heartbreaking death. You, yeah. Your tears don't flow during this. At least for me, I didn't find yeah. it particularly... It did not... It... it I, I wrote in my notes. It's heart. It's it's not heartbreaking. It's just cold blooded. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. Um, it, it's it's weird. Yeah, it feels weird to me. Um, it it is a. You don't get the sense that Khalifa was trying to make life meaningful for her after she got captured, but you do get the sense that just. There was, there was a lot that was robbed from her. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, she's forced into a terrible, terrible situation. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I cannot, cannot blame her. Um, it, yeah. it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a rough, it's, it's like, a moment that is, it's hard to explain. It's a moment yeah. that feels, it cuts like a knife. 
it's a little hard to feel super empathetic for her just because of how bitter she is to Ahsoka, like kind of the main character, kind of the person that the viewer that the viewer wants to identify with the most. But I mean, it when you really think about it, you know, can you forgive that for for someone who really had their life kind of stolen away from them? just like arbitrarily because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and so now they're on an island with giant lizards that want to hunt them down and like skin them for sport you know yeah it's 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 an interesting death it's not your conventional death where it feels either all good or all bad you know what i mean yeah it definitely it's definitely not a tearjerker but it definitely does bring up yeah it's yeah you feel bad like i i felt i felt pretty bad overall i I actually liked it more than i remembered um um it seems between the like the episode is kind of to me it was less about true truly about humility like the um like the fortune cookie to me it was kind of more about the balance or maybe the dichotomy between you know need maybe needing humility but then also having too much humility or or kind of misplacing your humility can lead to as we see with the other jedi younglings that can lead to kind of possibly wrongly wrongfully giving up hope um and and you know maybe ahsoka is what i mean obviously ahsoka is what the younglings need but it's interesting how Ahsoka in this episode simultaneously kind of she sim- kind of simultaneously gets taught a lesson about humility whilst also whilst also how do I put this? Teaching a lesson. Yeah, she, she gets simultaneously taught a lesson about humility while also kind of being the one to bring the much needed hope and you know, um, there's the part where Khalifa says, "Ahsoka, don't overestimate your abilities." And Ahsoka just says, "I'm not." And it's and it's interesting to see the the balance. And I think what this episode is really about is, I guess, the balance between humility and and confidence in your abilities and faith in your ability, if not to always succeed. Like Ahsoka has faith in her ability to try and her ability to make a good effort. Absolutely. That's the thing that is makes the difference for the Padawans to to end up escaping. Yeah. I really do like the like the I call it the DIY feel of this episode. That every scrap of good news feels like a galaxy's worth of hope, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Look, this arc comes down to one thing for me. This arc is good, not great. Yeah. It's never going to be amazing to me. It's not my thing. It's fine, you know, there's a lot of Star Wars to go around for me that is so my thing. This, I cannot tell you, is one of them. But that's that's fine. Um, let's get on to Wookiee Hunt. Yes, Wookiee Hunt. So in the second episode, the hunt continues. Um, Khalifa is dead, so... Uh, Ahsoka with the uh, with uh, Jinx and Omer, they they regroup, and they come up with a plan to escape. They end up attacking the dropship and rescuing nobody but Chewbacca, of course. Who else but Chewbacca from the uh, from the wreckage of the um, the dropship? So now that they have Chewbacca, they make another escape plan. Um, Chewbacca um, tries to make a transmitter, doesn't quite work. They end up uh, hijacking a, a a little um airspeed. They end up hijacking a Trandoshan airspeeder to get onto the uh, the Trandoshan's floating hunting lodge. Big fight ensues. Um, more Wookies just show up to uh, to help Chewbacca out, and eventually there's a big confrontation, and um, all of course all the Trandoshans get taken down by the Jedi and the Wookies. And we end up back on Coruscant, where, of course, Anakin is very distraught that, uh, to him, it was all about, he let this happen. He let this happen. 
Thank Fortune you. cookie is a great student is what the teacher hopes to be. Yeah. Look, we can carry this out on a factual basis. Anakin, for all the great things he did as a Jedi, look, when Anakin's being a tortured soul as Vader, Ahsoka is still on the front lines helping people with the ghost crew. When Anakin finally does something good and sacrifices himself for his son, Ahsoka's over there, you know, rescuing a village from a tyrannical leader and, you know, showing a, a, an, an, a stray Mandalorian and his... Uh, young son uh the way to becoming a jedi you know what i mean ahsoka's resume in her incomplete life so far is far greater than anakin's could ever hope to be i'm sorry anakin that's just true <laughs> okay that's that's a uh, take out of the mac coffee absolutely andrew i hope you're listening because that's a take <laughs> hotter, uh, hotter than your coffee um yeah. Um, one thing I'd love to discuss with this, I mentioned the, this to you earlier. The idea of the Trandoshans blurring the lines between humanoids and animals. Yeah. I think... It's something that Rift Hampson does in the Moncala arc, which we're coming up on pretty soon. Yeah. Kind of like the humanoid-animal crossover. Um, yeah. I think that definitely goes back to, you know, these 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 particular Trandoshans... Obviously, they love a, they love to party. They love to hunt. Um, that scene where they were all uh, chanting for um, for the uh, for one of the Trandoshans. It made me. It kind of reminded me of um, frat parties and movies. It made me think that maybe they're just the world's most uh, most evil fraternity. I don't know. That's kind of what it seems. That kind of what it seems like. I don't know. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, but like, but like, like even like. Like, there are some Trandoshans who just turn into alarm bells when you need them to. Yeah, they're... they're like, the, everything they make the Trandoshans do in this. They're clearly trying to show how these Trandoshans, when they hunt, they're trying to access, you know, the primal side of life. You know, get back get back in touch with the lizard. The roots, yeah. The, the lizard Become people. the lizard, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Taste yeah. the fly on my tongue, that kind of thing. Uh, also, by the way... So they encounter they they attack the dropship. Um, uh, they attack the dropship and the dropship falls and they rescue the prisoner. What is the prisoner? Oh, Wookie! Dun 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 dun. dun. I'm like, are you seriously playing uh, the Force theme for one of the most shoehorned in parts of this arc? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, let me it, let me talk about Chewbacca for a minute okay. because I know you're gonna I have love to say Chewbacca as a character. I'm not denying that. I think the decision to bring him into this arc is the worst decision made in this arc. Chewbacca's entrance in the into the arc feels entirely shoehorned. It just feels shoehorned. It, they it, it feels like they need to give they need to level the playing field a little bit in the in Ahsoka and the younglings' favor. So they they put Chewbacca in because hey the Trandoshans and Wookies are enemies remember yeah I mean I I love at least if you put a Wookie in there don't make it Chewbacca make it another Wookie make it a random Wookie like does it really have to be Chewbacca yeah I mean I I thought personally I liked it um part of part of what I like about Star Wars um. Is the feeling of, of serendipity kind of and uh um it's a small world that you get just from seeing these characters pop up and 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 meet each other in such a large presumably large galaxy um and but i do think that there are places um where it can go too far but i, I don't think this was one of them i uh, i i liked it personally yeah i mean like touch. chewbacca doesn't do a uh, damn thing wrong in the episodes, you know. Yeah, I mean? you just didn't think his presence was necessary. I. You no. think it should have been a different Wookiee, or you just think there should have been no Wookiee presence involved? I think if they had to, I think they should have done a random Wookiee. But I would have preferred no Wookiee. To be completely honest with you, I preferred no Wookiee. Um, 
I do like the whole thing where Chewbacca builds a transmitter, though. That does seem like it's very, you know, it's getting back in touch with his mechanic side, and I really, really like that. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a cool kind of throwback. It reminded me of the, um, and I guess, I guess, uh, Disney had not bought yet when this happened, so I thought it was a really good tie-in. Um, I thought it was a really good tie-in to the uh, the Klaatu, the idea of the Klaatuvak Guild, where that shows up, um, and the idea that hey, these Wookies they might they might live in trees and and make everything out of metal, but they are actually they are actually. Um, advanced you know and they've got this secret hyperspace mapping uh this secret hyperspace mapping um cartel basically or this guild so yeah i liked i like that aspect of it and i think if if nothing else about chewbacca being in here i thought that um i thought that it was a cool touch to have chewbacca make the transmitter because of what it represented i think yeah, so, uh, there was this huge fight, um, that happens where they do this, like, mind trick thing, which, hey, it's, a They, they mind, they basically, they capture a, uh, they capture a Trandoshan out of the, uh, out of the wreckage of the ship, or, uh, they capture a Trandoshan hunter who is patrolling the wreckage, and they mind trick the Trandoshan to, um, to be able to re to ambush more Trandoshans to rescue him, essentially. Did I get that right? Yeah. Uh, they get to this, like, cavalry arrives moment where all of these Wookiees come out and, uh, they attack the facility along with Sugi and a war and a lineless Serapis. <laughs> come on, guys. He added the model in there, but he couldn't have Serapis say a damn thing. Yeah, come on. Everybody loves Serapis. Everybody, on. everybody loves Serapis. He's the he's the coolest. Serapis is the best man. Serapis is the best. Um, yeah, I do wish this is an interesting idea. Here's a pitch: make this arc three episodes long. Next episode, the third episode is set entirely on Kashyyyk. I love Let's that. Let's have more time with the Wookies. Let's have Ahsoka be tempted, maybe even to join the Wookies. Yeah, I think it would be hard to have enough conflict left in the arc because I think maybe, in the maybe second don't episode, have the victory be as absolute on Waska. Yeah, maybe. like maybe they go to Kashyyyk for half half an episode to try and track down the remaining the remaining um, Trandoshans in this uh, hunting collective or something. Or just like don't have the victory so absolute. Maybe make the cavalry arrive thing not be a victory but an escape. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I thought it felt a little bit, not maybe predictable, but it felt a little bit cliche that we have yet another, oh, here we go, Wookiees versus Trandoshans. Like, yes, yeah. they are, yes, they might traditionally be enemies because they're right next to each other. Yes, they don't like each other very much in, in general. But I really wish we could see, especially for the Trandoshans' sake, I feel like Star Wars is kind of doing Trandoshans dirty. And where are the where are the nice Trandoshans? Where are the Trandoshans who aren't who aren't uh, just hunting other sentient beings? You know? Yeah, I I agree. Um, let's see. Like, to me, a part of Star Wars, like, it's all about redemption. You know, anyone can be redeemed. You know, you can you still have the capacity to do good. Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, like, come on, because surely, surely. The Trandoshans aren't all bad. Yeah, I agree. I just wish I just wish there was going to be a moment like that, but I I, I feel like we're never going to get anything like that at this point. <laughs> who knows, though? Yeah, um, who knows? You never know. So Ahsoka decides to confront Garnak himself. I think we'll get a... So Garnak has just been screaming this entire time. I want to do a... Let's do a count. Um, who do you think... What happens more? Do you think Finn says Rey in The Rise of Skywalker more? Or do you think Garnak says some version of you killed my son in this arc more? Uh, I think I still gotta go with Finn saying Rey more. But you know what happened more than both of those? What? A Trandoshan saying, Jedi whelp. Yeah, they, they do that a lot, don't Or they? a Trandoshan saying, the kill is yours. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you can't say they're selfish. You can say a lot of things about this particular group of Trandoshans. But you can't say they're selfish. Yep. 
Um, I, I, I agree. Um, but Garnack is obsessed with the death of his son because I think he built up his son a little bit too much, you know? He had he had great expectations, but whoops. Uh, Dar got confronted with the wrong Jedi, and uh, hey, that's another episode name. Uh, yeah. Uh, but there's that line, there's that uh, very, um, it reminds me of Rey's line from Rise of Skywalker. All you want is for me to hate, but I won't. Your son died because of your own actions, not mine. Um, which is such a, like, a very empowering line. And then, um, Ahsoka's basically like, don't make me do this, and then Garnak makes her do it, and she kills Garnak. Which is funny, because most villains' death feel very triumphant. But this death does not feel triumphant at all. Yeah. It feels almost wasteful. It's like, well, I didn't want to have to, but I did anyway. We get to that final shot of the final episode of Season 3. And, you know, this episode, again, I want to get to this point. This episode doesn't feel like a, a season finale. Yeah, it, it doesn't, it to be doesn't. honest. Uh, compared to every single other season finale, it, it does kind of pale, yeah. I have it, to admit. It hot take, actually. Okay. This is the worst season finale of a Star Wars TV show. Yeah, I, I could agree. I, I may, mm, yeah. And I don't even think it's Don't bad. say a damn word about Resistance. Don't okay, say yeah, a no, damn I know, word I know, about I'm not, Resistance. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I don't even remember which episodes were the finale in Resistance. It's been a while since I watched it. But I agree. I think while it's not necessarily a bad episode. It's not a bad episode. It's just not a it good. It is so anticlimactic in terms is. of the season. Like normally there's something they're building to. Right? No, no season one, Hostage, hostage Crisis. crisis. Like, that's a statement right that's there. That's a statement piece. Season two, Lethal Trackdown. Lethal Trackdown. That's a statement right there. Yeah, season three, Wookie Hunt. Yeah. I mean, I season see. Season four. Season four. As much as I hate it, Revenge. That's a statement right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I can that's see where Darth they're... Maul wreaking havoc on everybody. Season five, The Wrong Jedi. That's a statement. Yeah, I can see where they were going with this episode. You know, trying to make it something. You know, a little bit. Uh, it raises the stakes a little bit. It kind of shakes up our perception of of the characters it shakes up the characters themselves but it just doesn't stand tall it doesn't make a statement that's what it is it doesn't make a statement going back season six is sacrifice that episode makes a statement season seven is victory and death which makes the biggest statement of every single (laughs) episode i'm not saying it's the best i'm saying it makes the biggest statement woogie hunt does not make a statement it doesn't there's nothing that it does that it's that I that I that we look at and say, "Wow, it really went there." Yeah. Cad Bane takes the entire Senate hostage. Darth Maul comes back from the dead and wreaks havoc across the galaxy like Darth Maul never got to. I don't like Darth Maul and I don't like his return, but you can't acknowledge that, you can't not acknowledge that that was a statement. You know yeah. what I mean? That was that was a statement that they were making. This was not a statement. Um, I will say though, this final shot I think was interesting. Yoda looks at Anakin and Ahsoka reunited and seeing how powerful of a pair the two are. He doesn't say anything. He, but I can see him thinking that maybe maybe this was a good decision. Yeah, maybe. I like the idea of seasons one through three being the thesis statement of maybe this was a good decision. And seasons four through seven being the thesis statement of maybe this wasn't a good decision. It was a good arc, but I really feel like they could have pushed it further. Like we got glimpses of kind of the intensity and the moral questions and the um the the thought provoking main ideas that i think they kind of wanted it to have when they were creating it but i think overall it just didn't have enough punch to make it stand out as an arc so i'd say it's uh it's just solidly middle of the pack it's enjoyable like don't get me wrong but it's just middle of the pack yeah i think padawan lost is ultimately the better episode of this arc i think padawan lost is it edges out Wookie Hunt for this episode, you know what I mean? Wookie Hunt seems a little too packed with wrapping up the scenario with making a cool a few cool cameos to actually find 
the story, like, to find the conflict, to find the impact, you know what I mean? It feels a little bit too, yeah, but we need to, we, we need to wrap up the season. That's what it was. It felt like a we need to wrap the season up episode. It didn't feel like a, it didn't feel like the episodes could stand as a, it didn't feel like the episode could stand as a part of, it, it didn't feel like the episode could stand on its own. That's what it is. Um, yeah. Okay. I guess it's time to get to everybody's favorite part of Star Wars in a Galaxy. What you've brought me today is worth one quarter portion. Alright. It's time for everybody's favorite part of the show, one quarter portion. Today we've got one of my favorite, um... One of my favorite um, one quarter portion segments, and that is indeed Star Wars opinions, where we ask each other opinionated questions um, based on the Star Wars universe. All right, what is, in your opinion, the best thing about Star Wars since the Disney purchase? That is, what has the Disney purchase brought to the table that you like the most? I mean, the obvious answer is the sequel trilogy, but I'm, uh, I would say the best thing that the Disney... It doesn't necessarily have to be a single piece of media. Yeah, it I'm not... It I, could be something more abstract. I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to stray away from saying particular media, because if I had to say particular media, I'd say something like Rise of Skywalker, but... Yeah. Um, or, or like Season 7 of The Clone Wars. I would say... Hmm. I would say overall the Disney purchase has made everything feel more important. Other than the movies, like the TV shows, the books, the comics, the video games, they've all felt more integral to getting a larger picture of the universe. Hmm. I to see. Legends. The Legends, they, you know, they were all kind of scattered all over the place. They didn't really have a particular vision that we, they were going for, but the TV shows matter because they intersect with the books, which matter, with because the, they intersect with the video games, which matter, because they intersect with the comics, which matter, because they intersect, intersect with the films, which are the bread and butter of everything. Yeah. We didn't really have that with Legends. Okay, so I would say I've thought about this, and I honestly can't give an, an abstract answer to me at least, that's more compelling than Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> you aren't wrong. I know it's popular to say at this point, but I... You aren't wrong. I've loved Rebels since day one. It's one of my favorite things. Even season one, it, it has its its quirks, it has its growing pains, but I love it. I love it. I really do. <laughs> Everyone has their own Star Wars taste, and I know it's one of yours. Um, yeah. Okay. Here's the first one. Jacob, I'd like you to pitch me a Star Wars story expanding a background character into a more fleshed out story. Story pitching a Star Wars or pitching a Star Wars story into a fleshed out. Mm. Man, man, man. Okay, okay, okay. The character that we don't get much of, but who secretly has a story that we just need to tell. Secretly has a story that we desperately need to hear. Wow, there's so many options for this one. Mm. I'm gonna go with gosh this is tough i'm gonna go with biggs darklighter i mean i mean i know biggs darklighter has a backstory already but hey alex a, just alex getting Damon. a show or or something about biggs darklighter in my opinion i just think it could really go back we get to see more of that i think it would be cool to get to use that as a way to explore you know politics in the empire in terms of what do normal people think of the empire you know bigs like his pro-empire friends versus him and his anti-empire views and you know kind of how does the empire affect the day-to-day -day life and the day-to-day -day grind and maybe a mid-rim or an outer rim you know working class planet you know someplace in someplace not like coruscant 
Cool. You know? That's that's really interesting. Yeah. What would you do? Um. Well, let me just look up this character just make sure we don't have as much about her as I. Right for the picking. Right for the. Yep. Absolutely. Let me tell you something. Either way, um, apparently E.K. Johnston's written about a, a little bit about her, but I'm not sure if um, we've gotten a full-fledged story. Uh, let's let's look about. Uh, let's talk about Sola Naberi. Sola Naberi. She is Padme Amidala's sister. You know, her sister just kind of disappears into her role as the Queen of Naboo and later as a senator from Naboo. And then, like, she dies mysteriously. And, like, you know, Sola doesn't know it, but she has two, but she has a niece on Alderaan and a nephew on Tatooine. Sola is maybe one of the most important members of the Skywalker family that we know absolutely nothing about, or very little about. Um, I don't know how much she is in Queen's Shadow, um, but she might be more than I know she is. Anyway, point is, we need more of Sola Navarri. That's my pitch. Sola Navarri. Let's flesh out her backstory. Let's look at, um, what did she think of Padme? What did she think of Anakin? In deleted scenes of Attack of the Clone, she was around Anakin. Um, what did she think of? What did she think of Jedi Boy? Um, I want. I want to see um, more of Sola Navarri. That's my pitch. Sola Navarri um, backstory. Yeah, that would be. I would love that. All right. What's that second one? So my second question is, what do you think is the most disappointing thing about Disney Star Wars? Alternatively, what do you miss the most about the old expanded universe or the way Star Wars was pre-Disney, if you don't feel comfortable answering the first one? Oh, this is an easy one. Where are the damn video games? <laughs> I do. I knew it. I mean, oh. I love the Disney era. You know me. I'm way more positive about it than you are. Where are the damn video games? They're fumble. They could, like, we live in the age, especially during quarantine. We live in a video society. Video games have never been bigger. People are, more people are spending more time than ever before gaming of all ages, too. So it's like, man, they could really, and I'm surprised, you because you know Disney. You know how much Disney loves money. You know, our... Are, are they just determined not to cash in on that? Star Wars mobile gaming has really gone by the wayside. And that that is a... I mean, that is a huge market, as we've seen. Like, there was the demand for this at one point. In Star Wars games in general, just comparing the output to what we have before, it's, it's, it's just not the same. Yeah, what were you going to say? I would say this is more abstract. So I guess it's the opposite of the first one. I miss the kind of freewheeling spirit of of legends i miss the um maybe what you see as the downside of oh no, nothing is that feels as important in legends i see as an upside in that in it felt like in legends there was more room to just kind of do crazy things like a talking mountain of course there's a talking mountain why wouldn't there be you know things like that and i just overall the vibe that some of this stuff just has i feel like is is it just, it, for lack of a better word, it hits differently. A lot of these older books I, and... This is going to be a crazy one, okay? All right, hit me. You're talking about the season finales. So we're going to flip the table a little bit, okay? All right. Well, let's talk about the season premieres. Ooh. On this spreadsheet right now, um, I have the 13, um, no, the six, sorry, the 16 each season premieres of Star Wars television. Wow. Your job is very simple. Rank all of them. All of them? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'll read them to our listeners, uh, because in, in case they don't know, um, all of the um, different uh, Star Wars premiere episodes, they're as follows. Are you ready? Yes. Season 1 of The Clone Wars, Episode 1, Ambush. Season 2, Holocron Heist. Season 3, Clone Cadets. Season 4, Water War. Season 5, Revival. Season 6, The Unknown. Season 7, The Bad Batch. Season 1 of The Bad Batch, Aftermath. 
Season 1 of Star Wars Rebels, Spark of Rebellion. Season 2, The Siege of Lothal. Season 3, Steps into Shadow. Season 4, Heroes of Mandalore. Season 1 of The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian. Season 2, The Marshal. Season 1 of Resistance, The Recruit. Season 2, Into the Unknown. After much uh, deliberation, we finally have our rankings down. Okay, let's just do them one by one, okay? My 16th place is Into the Unknown. Into the Unknown. No knock against... (laughs) That's what I thought of, too. No knock against Resistance. Just didn't think it was particularly well put together or particularly good as a premiere. Number 16 for me. You're going to be shocked. The Unknown. Season 6, Episode (laughs) 1, The Clone Wars. What a Um, coincidence. None of these are bad. I don't hate any of these. Uh, But The Unknown is just like... The Unknown isn't good standalone. The Unknown doesn't stand alone very well. The Unknown is only good because of the other three episodes. Yeah. In my opinion. That's fair. Okay, go ahead. For number 15, I have The Recruit. Again, not necessarily a statement on Resistance, although it is not my favorite show of all time. Um, I just didn't think it played particularly well. Number 15 for me is Holocron Heist. While the Cad Bane flavor to it was interesting and new, it just didn't do that much for me in terms of raising the stakes of the seasons, I guess you could say. It it was it was cool, but it didn't it didn't elevate it to a new level in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, number number 14 for me, right? Yep. Number 14 for me is The Marshal. Um, I was not a fan of uh, them portraying the Crate Dragon on screen. I thought it was always cooler when it was kind of left to the viewer's imagination. Um, and that is maybe my biggest gripe with Disney Star Wars, actually, is that they never are content to leave anything to the imagination or leave anything mystical, perhaps. Number 14 for me is The Bad Batch the season 7 premiere of The Clone Wars. At the time, we didn't realize how important the Bad Batch were, and at the time, the Bad Batch were pretty caricatured more than they were in the actual show. Um, And while it was great to see Clone Wars back, the Bad Batch, for me, didn't do a lot for me in terms of an actual episode. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, Number 13 for me, I would say The Mandalorian. Um, It was a good episode. Just didn't I didn't think it was remarkable as standalone. It felt it felt like it needed the other ones. It needed to be binge watchable to kind of reach its full potential. Absolutely. Um, number thirteen for me is Into the Unknown, the season two Resistance premiere. Even though I love Resistance, uh, this episode did, did feel like a little bit of stalling until we got to the next the second episode of season two, where they finally get to where they well, like. When they finally find the Resistance base and see what happened at the beginning of The Last Jedi. Um, but it was a good episode. It's, it, it has that horror base to it, and I like it. Um, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was good, not great. Yeah. Okay, for my number 12, I would say The Bad Batch. You know, fine episode. Bad Batch felt pretty caricatured, as you said. Pretty, uh, pretty predictable and stereotypical in that arc. They didn't really get a chance to break outside of their... Uh, their uh, pre-assigned boxes too much, which I wasn't a fan of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's... Uh, my number, uh, my number 12, right? 12, right? Is Heroes of Mandalore. It did not have as much impact to me as all the other Rebel season premieres. My number 11 spot, 11, right? Yep. Is going to be Aftermath. Um, it was a pretty good premiere um, for the Bad Batch. Um, not not too much to say about this one. Just yeah, it, it was solid. I'd say it was a solid start. Eleven for me is the Mandalorian. Um, look, the story didn't speak to me, but it, but this episode was the hallmark of, I guess you could say, the second phase of Disney Star Wars. Um, past the past rise, which I thought was like. The Rise of Skywalker re- premiered shortly after, which I thought was the end of like the first phase. The Mandalorian, for me, speaks more to a direction that Disney wanted to go after they finished the sequel trilogy, where the, like it was, the Mandalorian was the hallmark of Disney's future after the sequel trilogy, and 
that's why it gets so high. The story is not the best, but that's fine. Yeah. Okay, so my number 10 spot, I will say Holocron Heist. I enjoyed this episode. You know, it wasn't... Maybe I don't think it's a great episode, but I think it's a really good episode, and I think it's an underrated episode. Um, I you know I liked seeing Cad Bane do his thing. I liked seeing the Jedi kind of be genuinely confounded and outsmarted, because that's not something you see a lot in the Clone Wars, um, on the whole. So yeah, I, I appreciated it for that. Uh, number ten for me is Clone Cadets. Um, while I do enjoy this episode quite a bit. Uh, I could not put it higher than any of the other nine above it. Yeah. It didn't have enough going for it. Okay. Number nine for me, Water War. This was a really good episode. I liked it. I love the underwater battle aspect, but I just think it gets... Ele- I just think the episodes that succeed it in that arc are re- really, as single units, kind of better than it is. Number nine for me is Spark of Rebellion. Spark of Rebellion is really solid. It's a great starting to Rebels. It's one of the best episodes of the show by far. I just feel like it lacks the passion of future episodes. It lacks. It lacks. It lacks the emotional impact. It lacks. It lacks. It's too much of an introduction for its own good. It's not enough of an episode. Yeah, okay, wait, my phone's messed up, hang on. Uh, well, I'm at number eight now. My number eight is Clone Cadets. You know, another really great one. I know a lot of people really love this one. I don't I don't love it as, been, as much as some people do. Um, But, you know, I, I still think it's a um, a really nice episode and um, very emotionally fulfilling. Number eight for me is Aftermath. Um, it was a, it was good. It's the middle of the pack. It was a very good season premiere. It did some things that I really enjoyed. Um, but the predictability got it down for me. The similarities to the Mandalorian and Star Wars Rebels brought it down for me. It, it was very good. It wasn't incredible. It was very good. Okay, number seven. My number seven, I'm gonna say Revival. Um, I obviously I, I'm more of a fan of Maul returning than you, um, and I thought this was a, a pretty. Uh, You're gonna be shocked then, but that's cool. I thought this had a pretty. Um, I thought that Maul had a and Savage had a pretty good run in this episode. Um, I thought it was one of their better appearances. Number seven for me is Steps into Shadow. Um, you know, I think of when did Kanan teach you what to do that? He didn't. I think of the Bendu. I think of Thrawn's appearance. It's a very, very good episode. It sucks that there are six six episodes on this list <laughs> that I think are better. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Number five for me, Heroes six. of... Six. Six. Oh, sorry. Six. Number six for me, Heroes of Mandalore. I like this episode a lot. Um, again, um, can't rank higher just because of how many good season premieres there are, but you know... Um, Despite despite having Hera conspicuously absent, um, I do really like the chance to kind of see more of Sabine as a character, dig into her, kind of, you know, going back to her family a little bit. Um, and I thought that was really impactful. Number six, Revival. Um, even though I like Maul's Return less than you do, I apparently like Revival as an episode a little bit more. Apparently um, so. Look, filth. Ins- you will pay for your insolence. We are pirates! We don't even know what that means! Like, how can you hate an episode yeah. that has those lines? And as much as I don't like Maul and Savage, seeing them interact with um, the pirates on forum, seeing them formulate plans, it, it it's a very action-packed episode. It's a very me episode, even though Maul appears. I, I've always had a spot, soft spot for revival. Yeah. Okay. My number five is the unknown which made the bottom of my list yes i this episode for me is absolutely bone rattling um kind of gives you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain almost in terms of order 66 and uh as you said yes maybe it does also rely on the other episodes in the arc as well to really um to really take flight but nonetheless i think it really deserves recognition um in the order 66 arc um 
because obviously that's a fantastic or that's a fantastic arc in my opinion and I, don't know, I think this I think this um, episode in particular can get overlooked just because of how great the ones following are yeah number five for me Jacob's number five was the bottom of mine my number five is the second to last of his let's <laughs> talk about the recruit the season premiere of the series premiere of resistance and how awesome it is the recruit does is one of the best Star Wars TV episodes for world, world building that I've ever seen. It builds the Colossus and the environment of Castellon so seem, seamlessly and incorporates how out of place Kaz is with the citizens of Colossus. Um, every, I, I cannot find a single thing to hate about this episode. The other four just kind of are better. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. My number four is the Siege of Lothal. Jacob. Man, oh man. So is mine. No! Yep. Wow, man, oh man. I mean, Siege of Lothal. What, what, this says Vader. This episode is just, you know, season one of Rebels. It's great, in my opinion. But it is a little... Season two is when you get into yeah, it. It is a little more on the, uh, it is a little more on the cheap and cheerful side sometimes. But this episode, wow, does it raise the stakes. Yeah. You know, we're going off Lothal. We're in the big leagues now. You know, there's Vader... Just the We're feeling... actually not going off Lothal, but that's fine. Siege yeah. of Lothal, but that's cool. Yeah, but, you know, they're they're getting ready to, basically. Yeah. Just And this this episode, to me, just represents so much. It's Vader, um, man. And, and it just kind of represents... It's just the stakes and the way they... The way they get across the desperation that the crew feels is, is so good to me. And it this, just is... This is the literal Empire Strikes Back yeah. of... It's so, it's so dark... Rebels, but it's, it's such crazy. a crazy. It's nuts. It's great though. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. The number three steps into shadow. What an episode. As you said, you know, you've got a little bit of everything. Again, what did Kanan teach you that? He didn't, you know, Ezra kind of the inner conflict, you know, him coping with um Ahsoka's loss for the time being. Um it's just it's absolutely brilliant in my opinion. Um it's it's action packed. It has some humor. It's it's just it's got a little bit of everything, and it really uh, is really well put together, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, number three for me in a shock to no one probably. Water War. Look, I love this arc. It's no secret that I love this arc, and I love the foreign territory we're in. I love how the aquatic environment influences everything. It does feel like, you know, we're going to get into this arc not, like, two episodes from now. Um, it, it, it feels like we're getting into a new kind of Clone Wars arc. We're getting into a new kind of episode. We're getting into a new kind of conflict. And it's a really interesting one for me. I just I just adore Water War. I just love the episode. Yeah, it's a nice one. Um, my number two... And this really could be my number one. It was so close. Spark of Rebellion, actually. The season one Rebels premiere um, is my number two spot. I, I absolutely love this episode. I just think it sets the tone so well for Rebels. But it's, it is it, it is such a good story in and of itself. Just Ezra meeting the crew. Um, and and part, of, um, part of what I love this is why I love this is probably nostalgia. You know, seeing this as it came out was just so exciting. Got me so, so hyped for Rebels. But honestly, it was just the perfect lead-in, you know? You got you got to see a little bit of every crew member of the Ghost in action. Um, and, and it really was surprisingly emotionally poignant at times, you know, with Ezra and Kanan. And the whole conversation where Ezra's like, Kanan, what's the Force? That part, wow, mind-blowing for me. So I, I think it's I think it's it's really great. Yeah. Um, I will say this about my number two. Like yours, it could have been number one. I'm going to say this about my number two choice. Give it 10 years. Give it 5 or 10 years that this this is going to be our number one on this list. But it's so... This episode is so incredibly new that I cannot, in good confidence, put it in as number one. In fact, this episode is so new, it's the second newest on this list. Let's talk about The Marshal and mm. why it's my number two. The Marshal is one of the most creative Star Wars endeavors I've seen in the past three or four years. It is... It takes a planet that we've seen so often in Tatooine and makes it fascinating. It makes it so that I want to see more stories now on Tatooine. Who would have thought I would have wanted to see more stories on Tatooine? 
But that's what this episode does. It introduces us to the fantastic character in his first on-screen um, appearance of Cobb Vamp. Um, it makes us care for this guy. Um, it, the Marshall is such a special episode for me, and it raises the... It does what I never thought the Mandalorian could or would do. It expands the universe. It takes us to new places. It makes it more... It makes the story more about this guy and his kid. It makes it a more galaxy-spanning story. And that is why I love the Marshall. Jacob, on the count of three, let's say our number one premiere. Three, two, two one. one. Ambush! Man, yeah! I mean, look, 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 unpo- look, this is probably a hot take for most people, but over... Around these parts, we put respect on oh, ambush. ambush is there. Around yeah, these man. parts, we ambush. Man, I, it, it's 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 the it's perfect premiere. It, it's it, just the perfect. It's premiere. one of the most perfect episodes of Star Wars television. Yeah, That's it's just true. It's so heartwarming too. Like, yes, you could go dark. <laughs> yes, you could go intense and gritty. But ambush is just. I immediately it's perfect. So Jacob was over here, he was arranging it on my computer, and I immediately saw him put ambush as one. I'm like. There you go. I don't even need to see any more of his list because he put he put ambush as number one. It is one of the most perfect Star Wars stories that I've ever seen told. That is just the truth about it. It is one of the most it 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 clearly sets up everything. You don't need there's nothing more I would add to that arc, and there's nothing I take uh, to that episode, and there's nothing I take away. It it it's it's too perfect. Um. Anyway. That is going to be it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of a retrospective on Season 3 of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Um, in the meantime, uh, and we'll be wrapping up the season, uh, but we already have plans, many plans, for Season 7 of Star Wars in a Galaxy. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at In a Galaxy Pod, Instagram at Star Wars in a Galaxy. You can listen to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, all those places, wherever you listen to your podcast, we will be there. Uh, email us, swnagalaxy at gmail.com, all of that good stuff. Um, yeah, I think until next time, may the Force be with you. <laughs>